Greetings. On behalf of my wife and I, I want to wish you an enduring joy that Jesus, as the Christ alone, is capable of giving. The Lord will encase you and your family in his joy perpetually. You are one I know who spreads goodwill unabashedly. Again, the Lord will envelop you with his goodwill both now and always. 2013 has been very eventful. We began the year with the Nehemiah fast. For some, when we enumerate the tangible outcomes in terms of dollars and cents, we may not see much positive balance in our bank accounts. In my household, I can confirm that God's love, mercy, grace, and favor have been solid. In this outgoing year, I was able to confirm that when God speaks and we are careful to listen and obey, we will indeed experience extraordinary provisions. That we are still living in our home, the five of us as one happy family, with food on our table, and my wife not working in a formal job since 2011. That is a modern day miracle. Our children are happier than they have ever been. It is very certain in my mind that the harvests in 2014 will be bountiful. As expectant as I am, I anticipate that every other covenant member in WACFAN who can discern the timings and is careful to heed the promptings from the Holy Spirit will be in receipt of the predetermined abundance that God has poured out as our strength so shall our ability to receive and retain shall be. Our prayer for you is that the Lord will keep you and that you will not take him for granted, most affectionately. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Now, no, that's all right. Thank you. The reason I wanted to read that testimonial is because I do not want the true meaning of God's blessings to be lost to us. We thank God for all the essential things of life, the money, the cars, and so forth and so on. We thank God for them, we need them, and we thank God for them. But if you knew what I know about this family and what was thrown at them and how at the end of the year they were still able to stand and their children able to testify that they are happier than ever. You understand what the import of the message that we're about to hear tonight is all about. Tonight, I want to speak to us about the rest of God. The letter you just heard read to you is a clear indication that the family in question understands the rest of God. And so let's go to the scriptures tonight. I'm not going to be long at all. We have many more things to do. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to read a couple of verses. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. 
He says, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. There, no, for he who has entered this rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Let anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And so, Father, once again, we want to give you thanks, honor, praise for your goodness unto us and for the promise of your everlasting loving kindness towards us. We bless your name for what you did in the past and we bless your name as we anticipate how you're going to perfect and finish what you already began in us. And so we thank you, we honor you now and forever in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You know, in First Chronicles chapter 12, there is one obscure verse of scripture in verse 32. It describes how David was gathering together his great army. And in that verse, a tribe or a name was mentioned that seemingly looked out of place. In 1 Chronicles 12, 32, it says, Of the sons of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times and what Israel ought to do. That was their only credential for being part of David's army. They had understanding of the times. And they knew what Israel ought to do. So I'm praying tonight that we have many, many sons and daughters of Issachar. Those of us who have perceived in the realm of the spirit. Those who have been able to discern what time it is have the understanding of what God is about to do and, of course, what we are supposed to do in response to what God is going to do. So I truly believe that this next year, 2014, is going to be a year of God's rest. It's going to be a year of God's rest. Now, I'm going to define that clearly so you understand what I mean by that. When we say God's rest... Let me just say this. We are not implying a time where nobody does anything. The rest of which we are speaking about is not a physical phenomenon whereby you don't go to work any longer, you don't exercise, you don't do anything. That's not what I'm talking about. So if that's not what I'm talking about, what then is the rest of God? The rest of God, as we see it in Scripture, is talking about me and you understanding and accepting the finished work of Christ concerning us. Jesus Christ finished it before he began it. And therefore, you and I, like God, should just rest. Hello, somebody. The rest of God, as we are defining it tonight, 
is accepting the finished work of God regardless of how contradicting the promises of God may be to my current present condition. In other words, regardless of what's happening to me right now, in the natural, in the physical, regardless of what I'm experiencing, what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, when you and I enter into the realm of God's rest, you will judge your experience not on the basis of what you feel, see, and think, but you will judge your experience on the basis of what God has already finished and accomplished for you in heaven. Hallelujah. The rest of God, as we are defining it, is coming to a place of knowing and being established in what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 29. He said, I know the thoughts that I have of you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to bring you to an expected end. No matter what you are sensing, no matter what's happening to you in your world, understanding and being established in the knowledge that God has spoken good concerning you and he will not take it back. God will not repent concerning you. He has spoken good concerning you and your household and he will make it come to pass. That's what the rest of God is all about. It is a realm in which fear, doubt, Worry, lack, no longer rules. It is a realm whereby we are established in the knowledge that God is not a man that he should lie. That is not the son of man that he should repent. Has he not said it, will he not do it? It is a realm where the people of God feel secured and at peace. If there's one word that I can use to describe the rest of God as we are going to see it in 2014 is the one word security. Oh, hallelujah. I don't care what the enemy is saying to you right now. I don't care how you are feeling. I don't care what your bank account is saying. I can tell you right now in Christ Jesus you are secured. Your security has been wrought and bought not by flimsy wall street or something on, that's built on a sinking sand, but your security has been bought and sealed, signed and delivered by the powerful, efficacious blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You are secured. That's the word of God for you for 2014. Rest in his security. We are serving an unchanging God. We just heard the song, Ancient of Days. As old as he is, he will never fail. As old as he is, his word will never fall to the ground. But whatever God has spoken is more than big enough to make it come to pass. That's the rest of God that God is going to bring to us in this new year. It is a gift from God. And at the same time, it is a fruit from God. And let me break that down for a minute. When I said it's a gift, you need to understand that. Indeed, it is a gift. In Matthew chapter 11, in verse 28, Jesus said, Come unto me, 
All ye that labor and are heavy laden. He said, I will what? Give you rest. It's a gift. So when you come to him, this is what you can expect. He said, when you come to me, I will give you rest. I'll give you security. I'll give you peace. It's a gift just for coming to him. But in the next verse, it goes on to say, he said, for my yoke, he said, take my yoke upon you. He said, I'm lowly in heart. He said, you will find rest for your souls. So there is a gift of rest and there is a fruit of rest. That fruit of rest means the result that comes as a result of knowing certain things and being in a particular place, you not only have the gift of it, you enter into the fruit of it. For 2014, we are going to not only have that gift of rest, we are going to have the, also the fruit of rest. Let me, let, let, me, let me break it down so you can understand the distinction. Well, about four years ago now, uh, a pastor friend of mine gave me a gift. It's a tie rack. It's a tie rack. He gave me a gift. A, a tie rack. And the reason he gave it to me was so that I can set it up in my wardrobe to make my tie selection a little easier. So I don't spend 20 minutes on Sunday morning trying to find what tie goes with the shirt and so forth and so on. But you know what? That day I lose my handyman. They now come to the house to help me, to help me hook it up. So for four years, they give this in the box. So even though I received the gift, I never got to enjoy the result of using the gift. It's still in the box. So the result, which would have been the fruit of the gift, did not manifest. So this is what I'm saying to us. When you come to Jesus, the gift is there. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heaven, and I will give you rest. No condition. Just come, you get the gift. But you have to do something with that gift if you are to enjoy the fruit so that your gift will not be like my gift. The tie rack in my closet that is not used and therefore have not been able to benefit from the gift that was given. I am praying that in this new year, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, God will open our eyes, enable us to embrace the fullness of what he has for us so we will not just be content to have the gift, but we will move from the gift to the fruit in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah! So, that word rest means security for sure. How, what, what does rest look like? So I now know that God has rest for us. He has security and peace waiting for us. What does it look like? How can I even say, yes, I want to enter into the rest of God? I want to enter into the secured place with God. Can you give me a picture, a portrait of what rest looks like? Yes, I will. The best portrait I know in scripture to describe the rest of God is found in Psalm 23. Now, before I go to the psalm, I need to tell you about this guy who wrote this song. His name is David. You need to understand who David was. You need to understand that David was a man of like passion like you and I. We were first introduced to this young boy at the age of 16. When the prophet went to his house to anoint the next king of Israel. 
And it is interesting to me, as you read that account in scriptures, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, that even though the prophet came to the house of Jesse, and a feast was thrown and given, Jesse had all his boys in place except this one boy, David. David was out on the field tending sheep while his household was having a party. That should help you understand how much he was appreciated by his natural, physical family. You may be here tonight. You've not known a natural father's love. Or maybe you've not known a natural mother's love. Or maybe you've not enjoyed love from your siblings, as Pastor Neil told us the other Sunday. Maybe you've not experienced stogie love. Maybe your filial is lacking. Maybe Eros is wanting in your life. But I want you to always look at David as a reference point. Yes. His father may not have appreciated him. His siblings may not have appreciated him. But God uniquely, on the day he was born, gave him a name that would describe the affection of God towards him. God said, your name is David, which by Hebrew meaning means well-beloved. Ha. The world around you may not appreciate you. The people in your eyes may not appreciate what you are carrying. But God, who sent you to this earth, placed a destiny in your heart. He knew exactly what he will do through you if you just obey him. He has given you a name that is above every other name. He said you are well-beloved. He said he has pleasure in you. He said you are the apple of his eye. He said you are his delight. You need to know tonight that God hovers over you with his loving kindness. That's why the psalmist said, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within him. Bless his holy name. And what? Do not forget his benefits. He forgets my iniquity and heals my diseases, redeems my soul from destruction, and then crowns my head with his loving kindness. If you don't know this morning, this evening, I want you to know God loves you with his everlasting love. Hallelujah. 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 This is David's background. Not appreciated. Not loved by humans around him. But God's love, agape, surpasses all of those. And so, as God was dealing with this young man, and as he went through life, making mistakes that we're all familiar with, isn't it amazing that God himself would testify of this young man? He said, I found myself a son of Jesse. Yeah. My God, whose heart is after me? You have to ask God the question, what about David makes him qualify to have your heart? I want to answer that question tonight, loud and clear. What distinguished David from all others? What made God testify about David, about having his heart? It's not because he could sing. It's not because he could write. But because David understood and appreciated the unfailing, everlasting love of God. That no matter what happens, no matter where he found himself, no matter how deep a hole he was in, no matter what man threw against him, no matter how many people reject him, he was completely 
confident that that love of God was going nowhere. He couldn't offend God to lose his love. He couldn't curse God to lose his love. He couldn't do anything to lose the love of God. I want you to know tonight, God loves you with an unresounding, everlasting love. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Hallelujah! If you were the only one, he still would have done it. He still would have done it. This guy went through all kinds of things. And then God inspired him to pen for us a psalm. Psalm 23. And he declared to everyone that was listening, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't care what's going on around me. It does not matter how much gasoline is per liter. It doesn't matter how much houses are. It does not matter what public is charging for a loaf of bread. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Why? I'm not hooked to the economy of this earth. I am in the world, but not of this world. My Lord is the shepherd. And because I'm connected with him and to him, I have all the resources I need to do whatever I'm called to do on this earth. And I'm speaking to someone tonight that Lord wants to be your shepherd in 2014 so that you can have the testimony of David you shall not want oh hallelujah the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want it doesn't matter what the world throws at me I shall not want it does not matter how much opposition comes against me I shall not want it does not matter what they are saying about me I shall not want it does not matter how long the dagger is I shall not want it does not matter what the enemies are saying I shall not want not by might not by power but by his spirit says the Lord hallelujah Oh, glory to God. I shall not want. I am confident. I am secured. I know, I know that, 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 I know that what will shake me must first shake heaven. And as far as I know, God is unmovable, unshakable, untamable. Hallelujah! Oh, glory to God. Mama Mandereke Besho. Glory be to God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And it goes on. He says, it maketh me. It maketh. God knows me. He knows I will not do or get rest unless he makes me. So he said, you know, bank, I know where I'm taking you. I am not only your shepherd. I'll be your driver. I will drive you every inch of the way. I will make you when you need to be made. Because if I don't make you, you won't get it. So I will do what it takes to make you to rest. To lie down in green pastures. I will restore your soul. I will lead you in the paths of righteousness for my name's sake. Ah, now you can understand. When the Bible says the steps of the righteous man are ordered of the Lord, you just don't take your own step. He is the one. Even though you don't understand it, he is the one that's taking and leading you in the way that you're going. 
Don't lose me. Don't, don't, don't. Just, just hang on there. Hang on there. This is what this is. He leadeth you in a path of righteousness for his name's sake. Now notice what David said. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why would you not fear, David? Because I know who led me there. I cannot fear because I know I did not get there by myself. He that leadeth me is still beside me. And if he leadeth me, he can break me out. Therefore, because he's my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me in a path of righteousness for his name's sake. Every now and then, in our human experience, you find yourself in a jam. You find yourself in a valley. You find yourself in a place where you don't want to be. And you're wondering, you're scratching your head. How did I get here? What should I do to come out of here? No, no, no. Wrong question. Rest. Be secured. Be at peace. The God that led you there is the same God that will bring you out of it. He brought you in so he can bring you out. Because when he brings you out, he gets the glory. Notice, he leadeth you in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. There is a honor he wants to get. There is a glory he wants to get. He can't get it unless he takes you there. But once he takes you there, he will bring you out of there. But you can only stay there and be at peace because you know something. You know that the Lord is your shepherd and that you will not want. You know he's leading you and therefore you are confident in his leading because you know he leads you there and he's going to bring you out. Yes, though, I walk through the valleys of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why would I not fear? Because love casts out every fear. I cannot fear where love is triumphant. I cannot fear where love is present. When I'm consciously aware and secured in this love, fear has no chance. The only reason I'm fearing is because my love tank is empty. Yea, though it leads, I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Whatever is after me, my first take care of God. How do I know that? Colossians tell me my life is no longer mine. I'm not hid in Christ. I'm in Him. So if I'm in Him, whatever's after me, my first go through Him. And as far as we know, and look at the track record of the enemy. He lost then, he's losing now, and his future to lose is already guaranteed. Hallelujah! And when you look at your own record, you are forgiven, you are established, and your future is secured. Hallelujah! Glory be to God! I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So David in Psalm 23 gives us the best picture of rest, a man or a woman at rest. He says, surely, goodness and mercy. They follow me. Some days. No. Are you sure? No. Sometimes. No. When I'm only good. No. When, I'm, when I'm achieving high. No. no. The law says you have to do good to earn his love. But grace says, regardless of what you do, it doesn't matter. 
Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the days of my life. Ha! Next sentence. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Sometimes? On Sundays only? Maybe Sunday and Wednesdays? We'll unpack that in 2014. I won't go there now. Amen. Because that's a, that's a serious loaded verse. So we see the picture of rest. But now let me go back to the scripture and show you, because it says, the Bible says, let every word be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. So we know that David understood God's love and was secured in God's love and secured in his rest and therefore could write a powerful psalm that's blessing us for years to come. Go with me to the book of Ruth, chapter 1. Ruth, chapter 1. I've got to do a very fast one here. We are going to enter into the rest of God, a place of security, a place of peace. Please, if you just give it to me in the King James Version on the overhead. Ruth chapter 1. Verse 9. The Lord grant that you may find... What, what, what are you supposed to find? Rest. Each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. Now, time will not permit me to go into all the context of this passage. But suffice it to say, here is Ruth and Orpah following Naomi from the land of Moab back into Israel. And Naomi came to an intersection and stops and said to the two ladies, go back and Pray that you can find rest in the house of your new husbands. So from the beginning, from the opening chapter of this love story, this book of Ruth, the goal of Naomi is to find rest for the two girls. Is to find security for Ruth and Opah. Is to find peace for them. Oh, Naomi had good intentions. But how mistaken she was to think that the kind of rest and peace and security we are talking about is found in a man. She had good intentions. There are some of us here tonight, you think if you can get the right husband, you have peace. If I just marry the right woman, I'll be secured. If I had a great job I've been applying for for two years, oh, all my cares and worries will end. If I can just land that one more deal that would take care of my worries, you are speaking like Naomi. Naomi pictures for us the schoolmaster, the tutor, the law, who is thinking by finding a good man or a good woman or a good job, a good deal, your life can be at peace or secured or settled. It's a lie. She had good intentions, but she's looking at the wrong source to fill it. 
And I'm praying tonight that we will leave this place knowing that our rest and security and peace is not in a wife or a husband or a car or a job or a deal that is only found in one person whom the Bible describes as the Prince of Peace himself. Hallelujah. Mr. Wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the man Christ Jesus. He is the one and all that we will ever need. The only needful thing that we will ever want. Hallelujah. So Naomi was looking to find rest, but in the wrong place. Go now with me to chapter 3. Same book of Ruth. Chapter 3, Book of Ruth. Give it to me in the KJV. Look at what it says in verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee? Ah, from chapters 1 to 3, Naomi has learned something. In chapter 1, she was looking for rest through new husbands. By the time she got to chapter 3, the law or the schoolmaster is now bringing Ruth to her boys. Just as the Bible tells us in the book of Galatians that the law is our tutor and schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So now in verse 1 of chapter 3, Naomi, her daughter, mother-in-law said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security or rest for you that it may be well with you? Ooh, that's a whale of a message. Because when you read between chapters 1 and 3, in chapter 1 and 2, while Ruth was still looking for rest in the wrong place, she had to strive. She had to sweat. She had to go to the farm and glean leftovers from what was on the field and whatever she was able to carry, that's what she earned, that's what she ate. Yeah. So no work, no eat. Yeah. No labor, no reward. It sounds like a lot to me. My God. If you're not good, you can't get any reward. That's her life up to chapter 3. But when Naomi introduced her to a man called the kinsman redeemer, Boaz, called master, savior, Lord Jesus Christ, when she connected to Boaz, her rest changed. She did not have to go back to the field to glean any longer. While she was gleaning, the most she could ever get was one barley, one effort of barley. But on the day she met Boaz personally, yes. their first encounter, Boaz said, stretch forth your garments. And the Bible says he packed onto her garments six efforts of barley. She went from one measure so six measures the day she met the man. And as far as we know, once she married Boaz, she never had to return to the field. Her security was not in the field. Her security was not in gleaning leftovers. Her security was not in sweating. Her security was found in one man. And that's the same man I want to introduce you in this new year. I want you to know him. I want you to appreciate him. I want you to love him. Because what? He has loved you and has given everything he has to redeem you and 
to gain you and to show you the glorious inheritance that he has already in store for you. Best story of rest in the Bible. Chapter 1, labor. Chapter 2, labor. From chapter 3, after she met Boaz, it changed. She entered into her rest. She entered into her security. Are we then surprised that not only did she receive the gift of Boaz, we see in chapter 4, she came forward with the fruit of Boaz. For she came, she gave birth to a child by the name of Obed. Who became the father of Jesse? Who became the father of David? Hallelujah. Who became the father of the Lord Jesus Christ? There is something that God is trying to tell us, my friend. I am telling you, if you just get violent in your faith and say, God, I want to enter your rest. You're going to find unsearchable riches that's waiting for us. So you know what rest is. You've seen a picture of rest. Now let me just close tonight by showing us how do we apprehend this rest. Three quick things I want to show us. Three quick things I want to show us. Number one, and I mentioned this already, I won't, talk, I won't say much more about it, understanding God's love. You can never rest if you don't understand it. I won't spend a lot more time on that because we're going to spend a whole year on that. No, seriously. But you really cannot enter into rest if the love is you, it's not settled. Because you always think you're not good enough, you've not tried enough, you've not done enough. You always think you need to do a little more, a little more, a little more, a little more. Because you just can't believe somebody's loved you enough to give you an inheritance. And I'm saying to you tonight, there's an inheritance with your name on it. Nothing you can do to change that. Let me leave that alone. So that's number one. Second thing. Hey. You have to believe it. First, understand God's love. Number two, believe. You got to believe it. There are some of us, no matter what proof you give them, evidence. Evidence one, evidence two, evidence three. Show me more. You've got to believe it. Some of us just cannot. It's too simple. We can't believe it. Why would a God love a man or woman like me? And God is saying, that is the good news. That's what makes the news good. That I don't have to earn it. It's been done. It's over with. This is good news. But I found us in the scripture. A father whose son was demon-possessed. And the disciples could not help him. So he finally came to the master, Jesus. He said, Jesus, your disciples cannot help me. Here's my son, demonized. Jesus only had one question for him. One question. Believest thou that I can help? And I found us in the scripture, in the answer. Mark 9, 24, the man says, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. That's where we are. 
And I want you to know tonight, that does not scare God. The man said, God, I believe your word. However, in the condition that I'm in, in my situation as bad as I said, I know you are good. I know you are love. I know you can heal. I know you can, but in my condition, hey, maybe there's a question mark. Yes, I believe, but God, for me, in this particular case, help thou my unbelief. The law will say you didn't believe, you can't get the answer. But grace will say, my God, I override your unbelief. You have believed, and therefore, I will perform. I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Jesus said, that's good enough for me. That's good enough. You believe me. You may be weak. In fact, when you read other translations, it says, I believe, but help my weakness. Or I believe, but help my doubt. Every translation first gave him credit that he believed. Huh. Time will not permit me to understand where we're going in 2014. The issue of grace and the rest of God yes. and the love of God. Yes. You need to understand how dangerous God is uh. and how unlawful the things he wants to do. Let me just throw one out there to you. How could God ever describe Abraham as a friend of God? Where in the scriptures did you ever read that God ever mentioned concerning Abraham that he ever lied? Did he not lie? Did Isaac lie? Did you ever hear God mention it? Did you read the book of Hebrews, the hall of faith? All, both of them were listed and it was never referenced one time? I'll let you scratch your head. We'll meet in January and February and March. Grace will never mention that. Because with grace, it's not about your shortcoming. It's not about what you have not done. God has taken the initiative to put himself on the line. And, oh my God, and make room for your shortage. Where you come short, he's already provided the bridge. He's just like, come on, son. You can make it. You can do it. It's all right. I've already done it for you. That's the difference. Yes. So he said, believe it. Okay. One more. John chapter 11. He marches in the house of Mary and Martha. Lazarus is already dead, stinking in the grave. He says to Martha, how many resurrection on your life? He that believeth in me and is dead shall live again. And he that believes in me and is alive shall never die. Martha, do you believe this? Let us cut your head. I believe you're the resurrection and life. I believe you're the God that's come and you, you, you come again. Dancing. Martha is saying to herself, yes. Master, I know you. I believe you. You are saying that he that believeth shall never die. My father is dead. My mother is dead. My next door neighbor's father, dead. Next door, next door, next door neighbor's mother. Everybody I know, 
They have died. They have never come back. And you are telling me you are the resurrection and the life? You are asking me if I believe this? Come on, Jesus. Lazarus has been stinking in the grave for four days. So I believe you, but I believe you, but did the but stop Jesus? No. Why will it stop it for you? Because we believed a lie. We believed a lie. So number one, we must understand God's love. Number two, we must believe. I mean, can you imagine the scripture that says in Hebrews 11, Abraham staggered not at faith. The man to whom God said, you, your seed, after you will we, we get inheritance, and yet he went and slept with his mates, uh, with his maid, and brought for Hagar. And guess, yet God said, he did not stagger. Can God lie? You will be ducking Abraham. Ah, he failed, just one. He told a lie. He slept with his uh, maid. And God said, the man never staggered. Go and argue with God. But some of us in 2014, we will not argue with God. Amen. We will understand his love. Amen. We believe his word. And we will enter into our place of rest and security. Amen. So number one, understand God's love. Number two, believe. Number three, thanksgiving. Thanks. Thanks. Very simple. Pastor Nee did a message here a couple of weeks ago. And he gave us a password. Psalms 100, verse 4. In the message translation. Put it on there for me. So I understand God's love. I believe God's word and God himself. And number three, I have my password in my pocket. In any time, anything wants to steal my joy, steal my peace, steal my rest in God, I bring my password out. Amen. That's my key to enter in my place of refuge. Enter with the password. What is the password? Thank you. Make yourselves at home talking praise. Thank him, worship him. We are about to get in a time of worship in a minute and I'm preparing you to get your password ready, to get your key out because you're about to open the doors to your refuge in 2014. You're about to enter a place where the enemy cannot touch you because them that are in a secret place of the most high God, oh my God, they are hiding under the shadow of his wings. Thanksgiving. When I lose my job, I say, God, thank you. When I feel sick in my body, I say, God, thank you. When the money is not in place, I say, God, thank you. No, I'm not thanking him for my loss. I'm not thanking him for my deficit. But I'm thanking him for the provision I already see. I'm thanking him for the result he's bringing. I'm thanking him in advance for what I know he's already doing on my behalf. I'm saying, thank you. The enemy wants to shut me up. But God says, open your mouth. Your deliverance is in your mouth. That's why every time God wants me and you to open our mouths and speak forth our deliverance. And I'm saying to you tonight, your deliverance is one word. Thanks. 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 
Thanks. Oh, I don't know about you guys. I'm in the wrong crowd. Thanks, somebody. Thanks, somebody. Thanks, somebody. I'm going to get out my password. I'm going to get it out now. I'm going to tell the devil, thank you for troubling me. Because by troubling me, God is going to trouble your trouble. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. I'm going to understand the love of God. I'm going to believe in God. And I'm going to give thanks. So I don't know about you guys. You need to give me space. Because I'm about to lose my mind. I'm about to give God thanks. I'm about to let God know how grateful I am. How thankful I am for what he has brought me through. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. So enter into the rest of God in 2014. Get ready now with your password. Because now we're going to get in. God bless you. We'll see you in a minute. Thank you.